There is something truly pure and unforgettable about an individual or two with no amplification. It's one of the purest forms of communication I can find. Hey, Baltimore. Today's episode took us out of our downtown studio and into the living room of Scott Veith, a local architect who hosts concerts from the comfort of his own home. I sat down for a fireside chat with Scott and musician Will Johnson, who was in town from Austin to perform a living room show later that night. Will is on tour promoting his sixth solo album, this one called Wire Mountain, and we talked about the intimacy of these in-home shows, his long career as a musician and artist, and his love for Baltimore. Can you talk about the experience of playing these living room shows? Because it seems so intimate. And as a performer, I mean, is that comfortable for you? Is it... Yeah, it it is. it, it, It is... Now, I think I've done probably 400 of them or so at this point over the last, I don't know, nine and a half years. Um, At first, it was a little daunting, just the notion of it, but my friend David Bazan from Pedro the Lion and then my manager Bob from Undertow, who Scott mentioned, really encouraged me at some points, like, you got to get out and do a run like this. And I'd gone to see one or two of Bazan's, and I really loved the dynamic of it. I loved Mm -hmm. the way that everything was kind of peeled back. It was almost an anti-production, um, and I loved that it put everyone kind of on neutral turf as opposed to a club setting where you just kind of, you know, I go see shows at clubs a lot of the time and kind of find my spot by the wall and post up and see the show and then split, and over a course of years, that can kind of blur into, I don't know, it kind of all blurs together, but I like the uniqueness and the sort of odd snowflake kind of feeling of the Bazan show happening happening in a certain house or a space and knowing that it may not ever happen in that place again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brought all of us here together. So I liked the energy of everything uh, being kind of founded on trust and vulnerability a little bit on everyone's behalf, on the performer's behalf, on the showgoer's behalf, and on the host's behalf. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal for someone to invite 40 or 50 strangers into their home. So we're in your living room, the setting of these amazing concerts. How long does it take you to transform this space? And I mean, how do you choose the artist? Tell me everything, actually. How do you start this Wow, which question first? Uh, So transforming the space, uh, we have developed a pretty quick system. You know, I couldn't tell you, a couple hours maybe. I mean, there's some cleaning involved, but moving the furniture probably takes like a half an hour, really. And how many people can you fit in here? 50, we've kind of determined, is kind of our sweet spot. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, and depending on whether we it's a solo show or a full band show, uh, we put out 25 seats or maybe 15 seats if it's okay. a full band, because a full band t- obviously takes more space. Sure. Wow. And then how do you choose the bands? Um, that's a fair question. I pretty, I pretty much uh, only choose artists that I like, so it's really a selfish kind of endeavor. It's mm-hmm. like... If I like their music, then I would love to have them. Um, a lot of them are people that I know and have been fans of for a long time who were fortunate enough to get to come here. Some are highly recommended by people I trust and like. Some I might just listen to who have come to us uh, you know, with a, 
just sending, reaching out to us, and I've taken the time to listen. I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty good, but that's probably the minority. It's more people that we're fans of and we love. That's sure, sure. Well, how did you build this reputation where people that you love are going to say yes to you to come play here in your house in Roland Park? I have no idea. Actually, just it's a number of shows. It's like we didn't really understand that, but the more shows you do, you do start to get a reputation because the artist community is tight. They talk to each other and. Uh, you know, word gets around, yeah, that's a cool place to go and play, and you should do it. And uh, it's really helpful for, to us to know that uh, that people do that for us and that we can say, hey, maybe you know these people, you could talk to them about what the experience is like and you might like to do it. Um, right. I don't know if that works or not, but we've had pretty good luck and pretty good run yeah. uh, with all that. So yeah, that's loosely how it works, I guess. Yeah. Well, when did this all start and how? I mean, how? it's kind of incredible that you have... People so, from all over just playing in your house. Yeah, so this is the, the story. So 2010, I got an email from Undertow Music. Now, Undertow Music specializes in organizing living room shows for artists. Uh, and they said, we want to do this living room tour with Will Johnson of Centromatic and Anders Parker from Varnaline in people's living rooms across the United States. And, and I was a huge fan, still am a huge fan of both of those. And I, they, they said we were looking for living rooms in the following cities. They did not list Baltimore. So being the arrogant guy that I am, I got on my high horse and said, hey, you should totally play Baltimore. We have a much better music scene than D.C. This is crap. And Bob from Undertow emailed me back right away and said, uh, cool, we'll get back to you. I'm like, well, I was encouraging. At least he answered the email. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a week later, I'm like, hey, can you tell me where the show is going to happen? Because I don't want to miss the show. I love these guys. I want to go see them. And he said, well, we'll send you details about your show tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? My, you mean we got the show? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll send you details tomorrow. And I was kind of stunned and excited at the same time. And then I realized that I had never told my wife. <laughs> so I said, hey, Gene, how would you like to uh, see uh, Anders and Will play together in Baltimore? She's like, they're both coming to Baltimore together? I'm, I'm like, yeah, they are. Where? Where are they playing? That's amazing. I'm like, in our house. <laughs> she just looked at me and like, no, really, where are they playing? I'm like, yeah, they're kind of be playing our house. And I told her the story and... Luckily, I know her well enough to know that that was exciting to her as well. And at this point, you had, what, a 9- and a 10-year-old? You had young kids? No, yeah, I guess. Uh, geez, you make me do the math. Uh, that would have been, what, nine years ago? So, yeah, about 11-year-old and 8-year-old. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> They're just kids. Oh, wow. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. They'll sleep through it. So, uh, luckily, Undertow tells you how to put on a living room show because I didn't even know what a living room show was or how to do it, but they are very good about setting you up. Here's what you need to do. And, you know, Will and Anders came and it was amazing to see two of my favorite artists walk kind of up to our door and come in. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this earlier today. They were good enough to stay with us that night and we had just a great time. And, but I honestly, I thought that was a one-off experience. I didn't think there would be anything after that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, I kind of always get confused about the order, but I think I had a, um, a friend who had a brother who's a folk artist, and she heard about the show, and she says, like, hey, can I do that at your house? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. So we did that, and then Will and Anders came back at some point, maybe a year later. 2012. I 2012. Want to maybe See, September. my list is right there, and I don't yeah. even remember. And then I also had a big birthday at one point, and a band I know was... Van Devere was doing a fundraiser for their new album, 
And I said, Gene, I know you're trying to plan something for my birthday. I want this. So we did that show. And uh, then, you know, kind of started to think about it a little more. And I, I went through this uh, GBC leadership class, GBC Baltimore, shout out to them, uh, which is uh, an orga- a leadership program in the city of Baltimore. Many cities have it. But they take people who are in leadership or uh, positions in their firm, bring them all together for a year-long class. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to expose them to issues in your city with the hopes that they can do something to make the city better, which is not unlike what you guys are doing with this podcast, I think. And part of the premise of that is at some point you have to come up with what your plan is, what you would like to do. And I came up with this lame thing. So social media was new to me at that time, Facebook, something involving Baltimore and the arts and social media. And I came up with something lame I can't remember. But at some point it occurred to me that maybe we were already doing it. Mm-hmm. That this, was, this could be it. Mm-hmm. So that's when we decided to make it more purposeful and say, this is going to be our thing. We're going to make it something. We're going to keep doing this. And we've kind of landed on kind of three things that we're trying to do. One, we want to bring artists that we love to Baltimore and show them that it's a cool place to play, which is a bit audacious, but it's kind of worked. Number two is we want to expose our music community and friends to music that we like. Selfish, but worthwhile cause. And third, we want to help connect artists to income. So that's kind of what we're about, and that's sure. what we're hoping to continue doing. Yeah. Well, we were talking um, before we started recording about the idea of community and connection. So I think you might just have a knack for that naturally, you know, to, to bring yeah, people together. Yeah, I mean, together. I'm very interested in, in building community and that whole... I'm fascinated by that, and we have built a community here. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have a bunch of regulars that come that have become friends and friends that have become regulars, and we see each other not only here but at other shows around town or other events around town. And yeah, it's like we're all kind of in this together. I think, yeah, Gene and I have it at our house, but I kind of feel like we're all doing it together because if they didn't come and show up, you know, buy tickets, whatever, it wouldn't happen. Sure. You know, I can't do it without them. We're all, so I, I'm like, we're all in this together. Seal the invitations and glorify your smile. Hercules now, it's Hercules now, I crawl across the nation, racking up these miles, it's Hercules now, it's Hercules. Sometimes you load into the venue and you hide out backstage and you wait till it's time to play. You go play and then you disappear again. But that's not the energy at one of these. It is about interaction and about sharing stories and experiences and learning. And I was just taken with that energy. And so uh, over the course of a few shows, it took me a little while to learn how to learn that I didn't. I'd become so conditioned to hurry up and wait mode, which is what you do at the venue a lot of the time. You show up at four or five you load in, you set up, they run the lines, you sound check, you go eat dinner, you come back, you wait through band number one, you wait through band number two, and then you go play. The mistake that I made the first two or three living room shows was showing up like an hour early and realizing like, I don't have to do, like, all I have to do is unpack a guitar. And then you're just like in someone's living room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, nice to meet you. Can I go lay down in your backyard <laughs> and take a nap or something, you know? <laughs> Can I pet your cat? <laughs> so, you know, after a little, it took a few days to learn, like, you don't have to show up. 
early uh, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, going back to the original question, I'm still I'm still really taken with that energy in a room. I think that um, it does break down some barriers, and it is a little bit nerve wracking and scary at moments. But I think sometimes we need to rip ourselves out of certain comfort zones and and learn learn some new things. Mm-hmm. And so with this kind of touring, it. Every tour teaches me a little something new. I have some new kind of interaction or experience, some new conversational souvenir that I'll take away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like, I still like doing the venue shows. It's great to have a PA system and get loud and bombastic, and mm-hmm. that's more of a physical experience. But these living room tours are a little bit, are more of a spiritual kind of experience to me. I didn't really think about it as um, a way to to deepen your fan base. You know, beyond they've just seen you perform, but you you they have access to you. I mean, they, they right. get to talk to you and in a way where maybe you don't feel put upon, but you feel part of it. Yeah. Um, so that must be really impactful. Without for, for a both doubt. Sides. And our band kind of operated along those lines and that we were not a wildly successful band, but we had a very devoted fan base with whom we felt really close to. And we always enjoyed hitting certain cities because we just knew we were going to see certain people. And, they weren't always the biggest crowds, but they were really enthusiastic and really fun. And so this kind of carries over from that energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the nights are earlier and the overhead's a little lower and definitely like it's easier on the back, uh, and the ears. And, but also I'm noticing with the living room shows, there are a number of people that come to these shows that maybe couldn't stay up until 12 or one on a weeknight downtown at the venue deal with parking, deal mm-hmm. with all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they can come to these. So every once in a while, someone will, they won't outwardly dismiss the living room type of touring, but they'll they'll kind of approach it with a suspicious eye. Like, is that really growing your audience or are you just kind of playing to the same crowd all the time? It's like, actually, I'm finding a lot of people come to these shows that don't want to go to the venue. Mm-hmm. So in that respect... Yeah, I am playing to new faces in a lot of cities that if I were playing at the auto bar going on at 1230 in the morning, probably wouldn't see some of those folks. Sure. You know? Well, I, I bet it also, as the as a concert goer, you probably feel really special, right? Like you got a ticket to something that is much more intimate than a larger venue. Right. It's in someone's home. I mean, there's just this like cool kid level that you reach, you know, when you're being invited. There's There's something... It can feel exciting for mm-hmm. sure. And I don't, again, it's like, it's not to dismiss the venue thing. I love doing the, the, the venue type touring every once in a while. And it's super fun to just be loud and have a late night and, and, and do that. But this is, it is the thing the one of many things I love about this is that you kind of have to know about it. Like there's no press on it. There's no a real advertisement mm-hmm. for it other than just kind of word of mouth and, well, okay, so you're you live in Austin. Are you from Austin? No, I'm no. originally from Southeast Missouri. Oh, okay, a little town called Kennett. Never been. A lot of people have never been. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you said you've played 400 of these shows. So, what cities does this work in? I mean, I, I can't imagine you've done 400 here in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> well, one another another kind of cool aspect about this kind of touring is that. With with the venue touring, our band was limited to maybe like 25 or 30 cities in the U.S. that we could kind of hit. But with this kind of thing, you can literally go almost to any town. If there's a crowd that wants to hear it, all you got to do is walk in the door and play music. Mm-hmm. And so inevitably that opens up 
hundreds more possibilities for stops along the way that maybe we would never have taken the band to like places like Charles city, Iowa, where we've, 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 uh, I think I've done three living room shows there at this point. And there's a, a guy there that always loves to host. He's a hardcore music fan and he's kind of got his community and it's always a fun stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sioux Falls, South Dakota is a similar spot where maybe we would have never entertained going, but uh, a few years ago, stopped in, and there's a really like excitable group of music fans in most every little city. It's just mm -hmm. a matter of bringing a show to them, hopefully, or maybe something panning out to where we can do one of these there. So yeah. it does take you a little bit off the beaten path where you maybe traditionally only went to 20, 25 cities with the band. Right. And then this is through, and you said the name of the site before, and now I can't remember. Your manager's through... Um, uh, Undertow. Undertow, right. Yeah. And so is that was this whole thing created for this purpose to to find essentially find willing audiences and hosts for bands that that they like or is it I think Undertow kind of stumbled into this about 10 years ago with the early David Bazan tours um they're a management company and they still manage a handful of artists and uh at a time they even put out records so they've kind of got an in-house record label as well okay uh, it's a multifaceted company, but they came into this living room thing kind of by experiment in 2009. And it did well enough for them to where they started working with a certain stable of artists like Califone and Richard Buckner and, of course, David Bazan and Anders and myself and eventually Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, and um, a bunch of other folks to the point where... It, almost like they almost kind of stumbled into an industry of their own just by booking these tours. Mm -hmm. And now we're moving on 10 years of them doing that. And for us, it's great. We get about half of our shows from undertow, but the great thing for us is Bob who runs undertow has very similar music taste to us. So if he's doing something, I want it, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And then are you, as far as you know, the only person doing these, living room events here in Baltimore? No, or? definitely not. No, I, not. I definitely know of others who are doing it. Okay. Uh, there's a guy that does them in Catonsville who started doing them because of us, he told me, which is great, and they do a great series over there. I know there's one down in Hamden that's a little more folk-focused uh, than, than we are, maybe. Uh, and I've heard rumblings of other ones, too, mm -hmm. like some bluegrass stuff. And uh, I... So uh, I've been to some of the other ones, which is always a treat to see how other people do it. You know, sure. I, I really enjoy that. And, of course, I want to support them. And, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really cool thing. It's like, you know, people are just filling a void. They're, at least in Baltimore, there really isn't a listening room venue. So I, I didn't really think about that until someone told us. I was like, yeah, you guys are really filled a void in the city. And I'm like, I never really thought of that. But, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because sometimes when people can't play here, they're like, well, where else should we look to play there? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Sadly, I mean. Would, I mean, would it, would you want to see more people opening their homes to this kind of? Of course. Yeah. yeah the more, the better. I mean. I don't know if you wanted to like have the monopoly on. No, it. <laughs> definitely not. No, no. I, you know, the more people that can connect artists to income, the better in, in my mind. I don't, sure. I, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, Mike said that you've occasionally, or maybe more than occasionally, hosted the artists in your home. Yeah, I like, would say 95% of the time they stay with us. Oh, wow. Which is a treat for us because, um, you know, we just get to know them better and it's fun. And when they come back, they become friends and it's mm -hmm. we just look forward to the visits and the, the, the time to hang out. And as, you know, Will and I have discussed in the past, like at our age, when do you get the time as an adult to sit around 
for a couple hours over coffee and just have a conversation. It's, it's, it's not that often anymore, you know, yeah. and fortunately your lives are busy. You have kids, mm-hmm. you have work, you have everything else, but I really relish those times. I mean, it's really important and it's really valuable to me. And I also really enjoy that our kids were exposed to all this. You know, they, they have understood the idea of letting strangers come into your home to getting to know people that do different things, to hear their stories, just to be exposed to something different. Uh, I know I've seen it's had an impact on them and I, I love that. I, yeah. Thank God, you know, cause you can look at the negative and say, Oh, well we've inconvenienced them or we put them out, but they've gotten a lot out of it. Sure. Whether they admit it or not. <laughs> <laughs> they'll admit it. And they're in college, right? Yes. Right after college, they'll admit it. When That's they're right. Adults, That's right. They'll tell you how cool it That's was. That's right. <laughs> but I think that also goes back to the intimacy, like to have people in your home and then you're waking up and, and having, you know, maybe still in your pajamas, like, sharing coffee and your kids are here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we that's just like, talked about that. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. really cool. And you're right. Like most people don't have, you know, I don't have like sleepovers with my friends. Yeah. Anymore. Right. I mean, you maybe like when you're right out of college, you had friends come to visit and stay the weekend and that was always fun. And then, yeah, at some point that kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, man, we still have sleepover parties. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. That's really cool. How, so the parties or the, sorry, the performances tend to end on the earlier side, right? They're not going. It's usually, Thirty or so. It's yeah, it's much. usually somewhere between eight and ten is the range of. Okay. It. So you know, it's again as as Will mentioned, it's easy for people to manage that versus a club show. I think the clubs are actually coming around to doing earlier shows, but yeah. you know, people get to the, the age where they have babysitters, and you can't have a babysitter that stays till one or two in the morning typically, no. and it, you also can't so wake up that with a crying baby makes that easier. Yeah, <laughs> or a weeknight. You know, you're going out to a show on a school night. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot easier if it's over by 10. Mm-hmm. I think you know, you're right. I do think a lot of clubs are moving toward doing things earlier. And none of none of this or none of what's being said is an indictment of the way that a club runs a show. Not at it's all. It's really fun. And and uh, I'm super grateful for the amazing venues around the country that have supported our band and that we have in Austin. And I love working with certain promoters on certain shows. Uh, but if you want to, if you just want to peel things back and offer a, a, a different kind of show like this is this is a good way to do that without having to worry about the bar chatter or anything like that um and and so what is it like with the okay i get so uncomfortable when people talk during performances right. i <laughs> my my I, I my skin hurts because it's right. i'm like just shut up why are you here if you're talking to the person they just just focus what is it like when you're performing do you do you shut it out do you focus on the people that are being respectful. I mean, yeah, I mostly you mostly have to shut that stuff out because mm-hmm. uh, it's not it's not fair to it's not fair to indict a, a whole crowd over six or eight people in the back of the room that are just talking. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know, there's a hundred, two hundred people in the room. It literally is six or eight people just talking about this level, and six or eight people talking makes a lot of noise. And so, yeah, it does creep into your mind every once in a while. Uh, but by and large in situations like that, I've noticed, uh, sometimes the crowd kind of polices itself to where the, the performer doesn't have to say much, mm-hmm. you know, like people can politely lean over and just say, Hey, do you mind like either stepping outside and talking or I'm a police? Yeah, without <laughs> a doubt. And, and, uh, so it's, I think I've had to stop two shows in 20 years just because of, it was so it was so loud and right there. It wasn't in the back of the room or on the side of the room. It was just right mm-hmm. there, and literally, it's three or four people that are talking. They're 
and I'm armed with a PA and monitoring and amplifiers <laughs> and stuff, and they're literally even louder than that. And so it's like, hey, if you don't mind, like, totally cool if you all want to talk, but if you don't mind, like, taking it back there, mm-hmm. out of courtesy for the people that do want to listen, right. would you be willing to swap places? Were sort they? Of thing? Uh, in both episodes, in the first episode, the person was so drunk that I don't think she had any comprehension of what I was asking of okay. her. And someone did the right thing and kind of removed her out to the foyer and talked to her out there. And then the second, the second time I tried to be really fair and like, I was really anxious about how to address it, but it was disturbing so many people in the room that it was unavoidable. It Mm -hmm. had to be, it just had to be addressed out of courtesy to everybody else that had paid like 20 bucks to come out. And, uh, they just got up and left. (laughs) (laughs) Right, bye. <laughs> it's like whatever. Two That's down. Best no outcome, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> Get him out of there. But you have a you have a song about the talkers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, um. So you've played in Baltimore. I think you got. To, you said six times. You've played this. Yeah. Oh no. The, no or this. I, sorry. This venue. I, I think say. this will be the. Did we say eight? Oh, was it eight? No. Eight. Yeah. Yeah, I, think it oh, is I thought you got to six. Yeah, I can't go to Baltimore, man. It's the best. Um, <laughs> no, the one thing that Anders and I noticed on that first visit in April of 2010 was um, sometimes you travel around and you do these things, and you can feel the energy in the room uh, as to whether or not people know each other. And some shows will go in and play, and I can feel like, man, nobody in this place knows each other. No one's <laughs> really talking. Everyone's just kind of sitting, waiting for the show to start. Mm-hmm. One of the first things we noticed was like, man, this is this is a Baltimore like. There's a there's already a sense of community here. I, could, I knew a lot of the people knew each other. It's just a, it's a great shared experience. It's very exciting, and to hear people talk afterwards about how excited they were about the show they just saw, and like, you know, that's really gratifying to me personally. But it's, it's I enjoy that they enjoyed it too. You know, they're like mm-hmm. the, they're excited about it. So that's that's really cool. That part I didn't really foresee. Is that the the I mean, we kind of touched on this, but that's how you are able to um, keep this community going and sell tickets, right? Like the excitement and the word of mouth that comes from yeah. your original group. Sort yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. And and to Will's point about, you know, cultivating new fans, there are a lot of people that just come on faith. They're like, I've never heard this band or this artist. I don't know, but I just love coming to these things and I'm, yeah. I'm going to trust what you have here. And then afterwards, like, man, that's so cool. I, I'm so glad I got to, I'd never heard of this person, but that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that is also very gratifying because that's part of what we're trying to do, you know? Sure. So I have to ask, what do your neighbors think of this? Our neighbors come. They're very supportive. Okay. Uh, they come to a lot of the shows, uh, which we love. Uh, we want to make them feel part of it and comfortable. And, you know, it doesn't really impact them that much, I hope. Uh, the sound does not carry that far oh, okay. because these houses are pretty solid and um, parking is pretty plentiful where we are, which is good. And as we said, it's over by 10, so... It's not a big deal, really, yeah. I don't think, for them. It's pretty and ideal. At least from what they tell me. I mean, but yeah, we're very happy that they not only are tolerant of it, but they're supportive of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's been gratifying as well. Sure. So as you come to Baltimore over the years, what do you think of the city outside the community of music? I mean, do you I do love you, it? You do? I'm, I'm really, there's so much about Baltimore that I'm, I've become smitten with over all these visits. And I was already a fan, just, I'd had good experiences playing here in the, early 2000s and just love the energy and the spirit of the city uh, but with regard to the way it's built into its geography uh, it's got a little bit of a there 
it's got a little bit of a small town kind of feel where like there is a true sense of community here that's quite strong and there's an energy to it that I don't always feel in the big, big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a huge fan of the American Visionary Arts Museum. That's one of my favorite places on earth. Um, so there's just a spirit and an energy uh, about it that I've always just been taken with. And we were guilty of this through numerous early tours with the exception of a few, but a lot of the time we skipped Baltimore. Like our, our agents would do the traditional DC, Philly, New York, Boston thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, what about, you know, why aren't we stopping in? Do you have any idea why it's always skipped? I do. Yeah. Because I mean, there's a bigger, it's fair. There's a bigger crowd in DC. It's really difficult to play DC and Baltimore in back-to-back nights. I've seen artists try, and it doesn't work that well. Really? You split because a lot of Baltimore people, myself included, will gladly go to a show in DC that we like. Even if it's you know not Baltimore that far. Is the next night. Uh, well, I have, sometimes I've done both. Sometimes, okay, yeah. yeah. Sometimes maybe not. But the point is, if there's a show in DC, you're gonna you're gonna draw part of the crowd. You're gonna split the crowd. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes that is strategic. You know, agent agents have to be strategic about that, and so it's one or the other. And I get that. Sometimes that is the case between Atlanta and Athens, Georgia. Yeah, it's like get you an Athens show or an Atlanta show, but doing both, like they may step on each other. Mm-hmm. And I get it. And DC is a bigger city, so a lot yeah. of the time it's going to win. It's just going to win yeah. that, you know. And the cer- there are certain clubs that have clauses where you can't play within a certain number of yeah. days, within a certain radius. And radius. we're always within that radius, so they, they're not right. even allowed to play That's back definitely back. true, but I had had really cool experiences, you know, in the early 2000s. What was the name of the, was it Fletcher's? Yeah, Fletcher's. Yeah. Played there in like 02, and I think the Auto Bar once or twice in 03, 04, and loved, loved the vibe and the, ex- the experience in the city. And I had always been kind of curious about it, because there was a big gap of years for where we never came back. Yeah. So when that date did get confirmed here in 2010, I was like, cool, we're going back, we're going back. And that kind of sealed a lot of what I thought I loved about the city, like those next few visits and really just tooling around to town with you and, you know, occasionally exploring a little bit on my own. But now it, now it, a run in this direction or a tour in this direction seems uh, com- absolutely incomplete without a stop here in town. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not complete. That's so. cool. When you're, so I usually ask guests the same five questions at the end, Uh-oh. which is like where you like to eat and drink. and all that. So we can do that really like loosely because you know, you're not from here, but when you do come, you know, where do you like to get a cocktail? Do you, you, you do drink? Right over there. In right the over kitchen. there. <laughs> <laughs> we have that. That's the best right. bar. That's my favorite bar in town. Actually, I was noting that's pretty well stocked. Yeah, yeah. that's part of it. The yeah, we have, uh, mic spot, we have but. a whiskey cabinet that's renowned. Uh, it's got a reputation of its own in the music world. Oh, I heard about this whiskey cabinet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there are some signatures and on so some bottles. There is an interesting story about that. So, the you know, I had a couple of uh, um, bottles of whiskey. Uh, I designed a distillery, the Sagamore Distillery, so I was into the whole whiskey thing. But then it became this whole community chest where people just, you know, I invited them to enjoy the stuff that I had, so people thought, well, I'll just bring you a bottle in return for your for you being nice and offering it. And then it became this community chest where people just keep bringing bottles and bringing bottles, and I know there's another bottle coming tonight. Um, and it's been this kind of magic thing where it's this giant community whiskey cabinet and it's almost embarrassing now how many bottles are in there yeah 
but it's, it's, it's like kind of a cool thing. Like free libraries that people put in their yeah, lawns. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Yep. <laughs> That's really cool. That's a great thing to have in your house. That's like a, you know, if there's a fire, you probably go in there first, right? Take everything no, out. No, it's not that valuable. No? He goes to save. <laughs> easily replaced. Yeah. He no, goes and saves all the pumpkin beer first. Oh, That's what geez. he saves. <laughs> <laughs> but we, so my son came up with this idea a couple years ago. Dad, we should have some place where all the artists that come here just sign. And I'm like, that's a great idea. He's always full of good. He's the one that got us to brand our place and everything. So we started signing the back of the door of the whiskey cabinet. So now it's a, it seemed to make sense, right? Mm -hmm. It's the community chest, the community closet. So artists have signed the back of our door of our whiskey cabinet. It's kind of a cool cool thing. Although now it's getting pretty full. I don't know what we have to build a new door soon. (laughs) Space, right? (laughs) There are worse problems to have. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. There are. Okay, so cocktails you have here. Uh, What about? For dinner, where do you go for dinner? Oh goodness, I don't know. You've taken me around to a couple. Well, you can point out your favorite I mean, place here. I mean, give I mean, them I've, a shout out. I'm, I've, I'm always requesting to go to the Golden West for breakfast or lunch or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. That's always, a and good I'm day. always happy to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so that's always that's mandatory at some point during every visit. Yeah, that's a good one. I really like that. What about for you when you aren't hosting? Uh, you know, we were just talking about this at lunch today. You know. We've only recently become empty nesters, so it's a whole new world now. It used to be wherever we could all agree as a family to go. But uh, I don't have one favorite spot. I just like exploring. I always like try someplace new. Think about like a date night. Where would you and your wife go? Probably not out to dinner. Not We'd to probably dinner. go to a music show. Oh, okay. All right. You guys are hardcore. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> okay. Now, sometimes that involves eating beforehand, but that's you know usually within proximity to the venues. So. All right. Then we'll ask this. What is your most recent, in the past month, where's your favorite place where you guys went for dinner? Uh, we went to Gunther for our anniversary. That was really nice. They, mm-hmm. they, it was a really good experience there. I do like we that ate time. at uh, Rye Street Tavern last night for my wife's birthday. That was What's pretty it awesome. Like? You did, did you design that space or the distillery? I did not design the restaurant. Okay. I designed the building that it's in. So yeah, but um, yeah, it was it's great. Cool. It's great. Yeah. What's it like dining in somewhere you designed? I don't think many people. Have it's that great if they give you free stuff, but that didn't really <laughs> no. happen. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, it's it's kind of cool. I, you know, I had to carry him out of there last night, <laughs> screaming, <laughs> "Don't you know who I am?" <laughs> Waving um, the bill. You know, I designed. I've only designed one restaurant myself, which was the old Austin Grill, and it was always fun to hang out at the bar there and just watch people use it. I mean, it's always fun to hang out in a space that you've designed and watch people use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, you know just really fun, no matter if it's a university building or a bar or a restaurant whatever but um it's i just en- i enjoy that I, hopefully I, it works out but imagine yeah what, what, other, what else have you designed around town that people so i did do the, the sagamore distillery i worked on guinness we went there last night uh, i've done a bunch a bunch of buildings at uh, towson university um howard community college locally um i don't know uh american can the renovation of that tide point the renovation of that uh there's others i don't know busy yeah. yeah. Well, I'm old. I've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> You're a, a young, young, young boomer. Sure. Old <laughs> That's right. The boomer. Genet. Thanks, boomer. Okay, boomer. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, what else do we ask? I always forget these questions. Uh, gifts. Gifts? We don't really. Yeah. What is it? Where, where's your favorite place to buy a gift in the city? Third place. I keep saying gift. I'm going to revamp these questions, and then I don't. So. Well, I will say Hamden. Can I, can I be general like that? Sure. Fine with me. Oh, We're a good place to get a gift. Yeah. Yeah, you, I think you that's named, a good hood You for named it, my for favorite sure. spot. I also think the Visionary Arts yeah. Museum gift shop. Like, that's my favorite spot. I've done spot. some Christmas shopping there in the 
past, and yeah, it's a good spot. I'm not mm-hmm. afraid to spend a bunch of money there. Whenever I buy uh, Will something as a gift, it's always Otterbein's Bakery. <laughs> yeah, I saw a bunch of those cookies. Yeah, in there. there's a reason yeah. for Very those. Nice. He backs the car up to the loading dock and it's like, just fill it up, man. <laughs> Got that dude coming in again. Um, I think the other ones. Where do you like to be outside in the city? Say it again. I'm where sorry. do you Where do you like to be outside in the Where city? do I like to be outside in the city? Uh, Oriole Park. Good one. Same. Best in, bo- Same. Best in, best in baseball. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Will and I have had the good uh, good fortune to go to some games together down there, which has been a blast. Yeah, it's, I love that place. It's Will kind of amazing, like, given the abysmal season that we've yeah, been having. Yeah, but it's ha- always a great place to be. Yeah. It's certainly better when they're doing better, but uh, it's still not a bad place to be. Mm-mm. I've never, yeah, I've never had a bad day at a ballpark. No. It's like I'm always, I'm never in a bad place emotionally if I'm in a ballpark. That's good to know about yourself. <laughs> Can you ask one more question? Hold on. I, I forgot I wrote it down. Oh. Is it the thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I wrote, if you could paint, and then I don't, I can't read that word. <laughs> if you could paint, and the word Oh, an Oriole, right. Oh, my goodness. I, I've already, already painted a few. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. painted, uh, I painted Earl Weaver. I painted Cal Ripken Jr. a couple times. I painted Eddie Murray twice. Um, I think that's it so far, but I've probably done five. Are you a portrait artist or are you more of a general I make painter? baseball paintings just kind of between tours. It's, like really a, it's cool. kind of, it's self-taught. It's pretty raw. I mean, it's kind of folk art. They're style, awesome. They're awesome. They're historical documents of, of a player or players just kind of telling their story. And it, it started with me just kind of wanted to pay respect to players that I like. Mm-hmm. And then that led to making commissions and stuff like that. That's so, awesome. So it's fun. So you're like pure they, baseball guy? No, not necessarily. No? Mostly. I mean, okay. I'd say, you know, 90% is what, that's what gets requested. But occasionally I'll get a hockey player or an old school like NBA player. Oh, I guess I meant more like player. spiritually. Are you? Oh, yeah, that's my baseball is kind of my. Yeah. That's Who's my, your team? Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. Very Missouri cool. native thing. I carried it with me. Yeah, that so. makes sense. <laughs> I don't think I could give up on the Orioles, regardless of whether we ever win a game again or not. Right? <laughs> Are you a football guy? Do you like? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Ravens, definitely. I can't get over the, the little twist that Lamar did. Last I just showed. <laughs> I just showed Will oh that replay God. this morning. It yeah. was. It was jaw dropping. It was. Yeah, I was watching it alone because everyone in my house went me to a nap. Yeah, and I was just screaming. It was. Yeah. It was. It reminded me, and I mean, I realize he's a little controversial, but he looks like Ray Rice. A little yeah, bit. The way yeah. that he just slithered. Yeah. And he's a quarterback. Oh, sorry. I got he's really got tremendous that. vision and some other skills. Too. <laughs> he's very fast. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, anything else favorite about Baltimore you talk about? Anything we haven't asked oh, that you just want to shout out or that you like no. to take advantage of when you're here? I will say that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about artists staying with us and and one of my favorite things to talk to artists about is, the, to me, is the parallel in creative endeavors between architecture, what I do, and music, what they do, because there are a lot of parallels and overlaps. And that's just always fascinating for me to understand that process, how their creative process works compared to what I do. And I not only get information about that and learn from that, but I'm, I'm really inspired by that. I mean, really inspired by what these guys do. And especially Will, who's not only doing music, but doing these paintings and writing. And it, it just, you know, it's in some ways, I think it pushes me to be better myself because, man, look what these guys are doing. I, you know, I, I got to work a little harder. I got to do a little better. And uh, yeah. um, it's really inspiring. It really is. It's, and it's 
nice to have that constant effect and exposure in my life. It's sure. enlightening too because it, it this is maybe I don't know. It's great to talk with fellow musicians about touring and about making records and things like that and inevitably that is informative and it's rich but to speak with with uh with other artists and other creators about a different about a trade that maybe you don't know as much about is is equally if not more so like just talking with you about how an idea for a facade may come up or how what you put in but then eventually what you take away in the end or what tweaks you make along along the way is always uh just rich to me to get a glimpse into what your world creatively is like and so um it's just a matter of learning sometimes i feel like sometimes i feel like zoo animals you know it's like all right giraffe i'm a zebra what's your world like man that's cool (laughs) you know and you're kind of comparing notes but you're kind of across the way from each other but also like uh i don't know there's the sharing the the notion of sharing and learning and this goes back to the sense of community at living room shows and some of the conversations that you wind up having at the merch table, you walk away with some new tidbit of knowledge about the community that you just played mm-hmm. or the, the people that you just interacted with. And I figure so long as you're learning, then you're moving. And if you're moving, well, that's got to be a positive thing. you know. Yeah. And, I mean, important, uh, troubadours, I believe, did this. You're taking these ideas everywhere you go. If you're, if you're playing all these shows every year, I mean, that information's not just staying with you, right? It's... Traveling, with it's you. Insp- yeah, it's inspiring. You take it with you, and and eventually it gets into your work. You know, someone at the beginning of the living room tours many years ago, like someone, I heard some couple of people said, "Oh man, this is the future of touring. This is insane." You know, like going to people's houses and doing this kind of thing. It's like actually, it is the absolute past. Like it is the yeah. first, like people coming over the hillside saying, I have this to offer mm-hmm. for, you know, and figuring out ways to entertain yeah. each other, but also share and communicate. And it actually peels things back to, I think, some of the earliest ways that we communicated and, and shared stories and and figured out ways to entertain each other. So, uh, but it's still just as valid as ever. We were talking a little bit this morning that it's a, it's a lot like a church experience, you know, people come together in their belief of music and the power of music. So they're organized around a belief, but there's also a great deal of fellowship that's involved after Mm -hmm. that kind of experience. And, and it reminded me because of my upbringing in Lancaster and being practically Amish that it's a lot like the Amish church where they go to each other's house to, to worship every Sunday and how somebody opens their house up to that experience. And they have the fellowship afterwards and, uh, it's it's very much like that. It's not just like buying a ticket and going to a movie and then going home. It's it's much more than that. It really is. I feel that way when I go see these shows in Austin a lot of times. Like I need to just sit in a room and listen to somebody sing songs for an hour and twenty minutes and not not look at a phone or not hear clatter or not just you know not be analog. Yeah, exactly. I just need to be as analog as possible for a little while. No PA system. No nothing. Like, Went to see Buckner about four or five weeks ago. Richard Buckner, a friend of ours, does these tours very regularly. and He's been a friend for almost 20 years, but to just sit in a room and listen to him sing his songs for an hour 15, hour 20, was like, that, was all the, that was the therapy session I needed for, for the week, for sure. Yeah. And I'll never forget that show. You know? uh, <clears throat> do you want to talk at all about being a family person and trying to balance that? Oh, sure. Yeah. And then also just, um, I mean, it's, it's like you can't not create. 
And is that is that is that different when you're alone in your car versus when you're on a bus with the other guys? Like, do you create differently on a solo tour? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, on the on the solo tours, there's definitely more time in your own head, and there are days that will. Certain days I'll realize by four or five p.m. I was like, I haven't really spoken to. I've hardly used my voice today, other than checking out the hotel, just going, yeah, it's all hotels.com. I got it in my email. Take care. Thanks a lot. And then like, <laughs> so I get to the show and I'm just a chatterbox because <laughs> I'm excited to speak with people and and <clears throat> see people. But um, with regard to ideas and songs and you know melodies and thoughts you know, thoughts of creativity and all that stuff. There's plenty of time for that to happen on those drives because there's just a lot of quiet. And um, one thing about these kinds of tours uh, versus a venue tour is that I don't really have to show up to the show until about five minutes before showtime. So that offers about 22 hours of the 24-hour day where you're just hanging, like you're alone and anonymous in the world, which definitely provides a lot of riding time. And sometimes... On the full band tours, like your every hour is kind of parceled in a way, and it's it's just a louder situation to where you're not doing much riding on the road, and that's all right because the camaraderie and the joy and the joking and the the laughing and the reunion, like the communion of being on a band tour, is is joyful in a way that I it's sometimes hard to explain. It's kind of got a family reunion kind of feel like any time that we would ever take the band out, but. Again, these are just quieter tours, and they do offer a little bit more opportunity to get some work done. And there are days where that's really comforting, and then there are days that are excruciatingly just lonely. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of depends. And sometimes I can just deal with the weather. If it if it's wintertime, a lot of the time it gets dark certain places at 4.35. Well, you got three hours till showtime, and go get a spot of food and like sit in a bar and have a drink and then go down and play the show, but... It's it's not there's not quite as much time in the day to go trail running or walk in a park or anything like that. And so some of the some some of those treks can be a little more I don't know, a little more lonesome feeling. Um but it just kind of depends on the on the on the day and the time. I do try to make use of time and write uh write when I'm on the road now. Because I get home and family life is busy, man. It's loud mm-hmm. in a great way, but it's wild and psychedelic, and the how unpredictable many, goes down. Do and it's have? like, so we've got three. Three? Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, wow. but that's my community when I get home. Like I get on the road, and and my community is is friends like Scott, and seeing people and socializing, and seeing friends when I'm going going to from town to town. But when I go home, like my community is my family. So, it's. The gear shift, the shift of gears is significant between the two, and always those first thirty-six or forty-eight hours of every tour, I feel like I've just run away, you know, and it's mm-hmm. very surreal because mm-hmm. you go from constant activity and constant kind of shepherding and parenting to, oh dang, like um, you have time to fill. It's really quiet. You now. to think about what to do. Yeah, yeah, I, th- it's all up to me, like down to like. You get to choose everything, man. That's great. Oh man, it's weird. It's like you don't have to get, Paw Patrol. yeah, I've got too much control right now. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the new record at all? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so you have a new record. <laughs> <laughs> you first. <laughs> We 
we made it in about five days, about a year and a half ago, uh, in Austin at my friend Britton's studio, uh, Ramble Creek, which is southwest of Austin a little ways. And my friends, Thor Harris, who played plays in Swans and played in Shearwater, and he's worked on Bill Callahan's records from time to time. Um, my friend Lindsey Verrill from a, a really cool duo called Little Mazarn and Britain all played on it. And then my friend John D. Graham from a wonderful band called True Believers back in the 80s uh, from Austin came in and did a little bit of guitar work and all that. But it was pretty short, short affair. It was five days, like tracked, not quite mixed in five days, but still a stitch in time for the five of us just to kind of document our time together. And that's the way I like to do solo records right now is, is pick the lineup pretty far in advance just based on trust and love for this particular group's abilities individually and then get everybody together for a few days and see how it all works uh, collectively and let that just be kind of a document of our time together it's like I'll bring in the basic structures and if I have strong ideas I'll say it but I try to loosen my grip to let the musicians voices and abilities uh, speak for themselves because I want their fingerprints on it just as much as mine, if not more so. I mean, by that point, it's just as much their record as it is mine. And, and so that's what I kind of want the records to be at this point. And it's these days, it's not always the same lineup. It's usually a different lineup each, each record, but it's just kind of the way I like to work right now. And I will say as a big fan of Will's that I appreciate that because every album is different. It sounds different and, I know I'm probably genetically predisposed to love his music somehow, but I just I'm always thrilled by the next album because they do all sound different and they're you know they have different contributions that are very evident when you listen mm -hmm. to them and I totally appreciate that as a fan. So I think it's, it's fun. It's a, it gives me something. <laughs> it gives me something new to get nervous about each record, and I need I need that energy in a way. It's not unlike the living room show kind of thing. You got to change the environment and change the landscape a little bit each time, or else you know. You can fall back on old, familiar habits, and that's not always always the greatest thing. Sure. So. You have this problem where even when you're hollering, you, you sound, it sounds like you're right here. It sounds very, it's almost like a whisper. It's obviously the volume's loud, but there's an intimacy to it, and mm -hmm. I can't explain that. I'm thinking of like a song with Will Raider where um, it just feels really personal, even if that's you're writing something that's totally fictional. The delivery is really powerful, and that translates on the record, not just in the room. Thanks. I think maybe I'm not going to say I've become good at that kind of thing, but I, I, I do think I've gotten a little better and more confident with the singing thing just by doing these kinds of tours where all you have is a guitar and a voice and that's it. There's nowhere to hide, you know? And so it's, it's helped me become a little bit more confident with the singing thing over the last 10, 12 years, for sure. It's a rare treat for me as a longtime fan of Will to, you know, have, having heard Centromatic for all those years, seeing them in concert, and the first time I got to hear his voice unamplified and guitar unamplified in this room, it's just, it's stunning. It really makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. And that hasn't changed. You know, I, whenever Will comes to visit, you know, he's a friend, and I just can't wait to see him and hang out with him. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, we get a concert, too. You kind of forget about that. And then it starts, <laughs> and like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this. It's a good life you live. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's that's it's a just a rare treat to hear an unamplified voice in a room. Is 
really special. It's a pure thing. And, and again, going back to just being on the other side of the experience, going to these shows, whenever I get an opportunity to do that in Austin, I try to take advantage of that because uh, there is something truly pure and unforgettable about listening to just a, an individual or two with no amplification just make it make it go you hear like it's one of the purest forms of communication i can find is that transmission through music Mm -hmm. and uh it that the power of that it's nice to be reminded the power of that in this very busy digital kind of hurried up very loud world Mm -hmm. it's just nice to sit in a room every once in a while it feels like a therapy session i know i said that earlier but it it truly does kind of it feels that way whenever i go to these things After a day reuniting, grabbing lunch in Hamden, and later dinner with Scott and his wife Jean, Will set up for the show. Friends and fans arrived, grabbed drinks, and slowly took their seats in the Beath's living room. The chatter respectfully stopped as Will took the stage. To learn more about Will and to check out all of his music, visit will-johnson.com. For past Hey Baltimore episodes and info about everything happening downtown, go to our website, godowntownbaltimore.com. Hey Baltimore is edited and produced by Mike Evitz and made possible by Downtown Partnership. Our theme music is by Super City, and I'm your host, Megan Eisenach. Thanks for listening. Transparent life of one with a real love.